Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. My name's Panos and I'm joined via Zoom with a good friend of mine, Josh Moran. How are you, my brother? I'm great, dude. How are you? Very, very good. Josh is the barefoot dog trainer and now look on your website, BFK9 Training, if you want to go find him. Um, It's good to have you on the show, bro. How you been? I've been, uh, you know, going through it, ups and downs like everybody else, but overall, better than I deserve. I guess, yeah, you know, doing pretty I lo- well. I love to hear that. Well, I know that you're coming to Australia very soon and very, very exciting. Yeah. When do you come again? April, May. Uh, yes, the end of April, beginning yes. of May. I'm going to New Zealand end of April and then heading over to the, the mainland. For sure. It's going to be a good time. And and I've I seen you always- a few times c- coming out to Sydney, so um, I know what you'd get up to in, in your seminars and, and I always learn lots of good stuff and just to hang out, you know, you're a good guy and, and, and you, and you very deep thought in, in the training, it's not very surface level. And, and even though there's lots of technicality, I, I, I can tell that you have a deep philosophy about that. I want to kind of un- unpack a little bit from today. Um, there was something that I read on your website and I thought was really cool. I'm going to read it out. It was on the homepage. It says some of mankind's most intimate relationships are with dogs. We like to help people live more meaningful and connected lives with their companions. Tell me a little bit about that and what that means to you and what, and how you play that out. Well, I mean, part of it is, you know, a a bit on the nose, I guess, Uh, you know, dogs live in our beds and in our houses and, you know, we create an incredible bond with these dogs. Uh, Man. I mean, going back to childhood, I still remember, you know, different personalities of dogs that I've lived with weird quirks, you know, those are memories you'll kind of have forever. Um, but realistically, you know, to a certain degree, dogs never call me on the phone. Right. So like I have to be making sure that above most, uh, anything else that I'm really doing a good job transferring technical skill to owners. And at a certain point, I think that really has to kind of overshadow some of the more romanticized aspects of dog training is I'm almost uh, like a glorified plumber to a certain degree. Like, yeah, yeah, I can talk about it and wax poetically, but at the end of the day, people are looking for real help. So I try and make sure that I I keep a balanced mindset, not in the like correction versus reward type of discussion, but just, I want to make sure that I'm giving people the actual technical skill sets to move forward in dog training and allow them to do things with their dogs that perhaps, you know, they didn't think they could, or they've seen other people do with their dogs and they, Oh man, I wish I could take my dog to the beach and let him run, have him come back. You know, that, that'd be really nice. And those are a lot of the things that I think sometimes we do lose sight of, you know, uh, especially we start getting into certain aspects of dog training that can be incredibly technically, uh, you know, there's a lot of minutia and sometimes we get away from, I just want a good roommate type of. Yes. 
Because once you go down that rabbit hole, it gets deep, just like with anything. Like, you know, if you immerse yourself within the, the, the theory and the technicality of it, and and there's a lot of beauty and, and, and magic within all of the science of it. Like, it's really yeah. cool to see how conditioning plays out. And it's like, oh, wow, it's, it's almost like a form of mysticism in a way because there's something happening. But, you know, you can't look at it just psychologically. You have to start looking at it neurologically. And, and it yeah. does go deep. And when Jane down the road just wants to retrieve it or not run at the front door and just come back to her we can't if, if it was me and you if if you had that problem which i don't understand why you would and then i came to you and i used the technical words you're like oh damn of course duh i'll do that but as you said you want to you ha- have the understanding of the technicality and then put it into words and technique and movement so that the everyday person can understand it and still benefit at that same level which is the hard part right I think so. And, yeah. you know, it's harder for some folks than it is for others. You know, there's some people that uh, aren't blessed with the gift of gab, I suppose. And, you know, I, I think to a certain extent, the common language that we have within our profession, right, the, the way we make our money, it's really important to understand those technical terms so that we can have a clear and, you know, kind of straightforward discussion, even if, you know, we're, we're maybe not going to approach training the same way. We should be able to have a good technical understanding of the why behind certain things. However, most of my clients uh, couldn't be any less concerned with hearing about reinforcement schedules and differential reinforcement. Like a, a lot of the things that I think are, are cool to, to learn about and read about and, and study. Uh, a lot of people just want their dog to stop trying to bite their kid. Or yeah. Don't jump on grandma, those types of things. I'd, I'd, I'm stuck between in between both those. Keep it like they don't need, like people not interested in like what an intermittent reinforcement is and what negative reinforcement is. So I get that we say you start using these terms and start to explain it and teaching too much of the why you can lose them. And then on the other hand, you can say, let's just like teach them what to do. I, I recently I've been, focusing more on, well, maybe in just everyday terms, can I just try to explain just what's happening? Just so you know, see, when me and you walk the dog down the street, every single time that leash turns on, there is you are communicating. And me and you are aware of that. Negative yeah. reinforcement is happening every single moment almost with the dog on the leash when you're out walking, regardless of what equipment he's on. So, it's just, it's almost like, well, then how do you like not show the significance of it without going too deep? And you can kind of tell which person you're talking to, how far can I go for you to understand? You have to like read their body language and you have to have the the state of mind to be able to adjust and, adjust and adapt what you're saying to the cues you're getting so that you can, you can see when they've gone, I think I understand what you're talking about. Oh, the leash turning on means pressure. And like in, if we were to go into that specific technique of it, I, I do want to teach the why. It's just how far of the why do we teach? And yeah. because would you agree that if you just told them what to do, then like at any stage, should you tell your client you should be rewarding randomly now? And they're like, but why? I guess most people don't ask why, do they? Um, they just go, okay, I'll just reward randomly. But if they don't know why, then they don't know when to apply it, right? Yeah, no, that, that's exactly it. And, you know, to your point, there's, a, a real art to figuring out human beings and just, you know, it's been kind of weird. I think for some people, you know, I've had some conversations with other dog trainers around here. And it's like one of the things that I think has always been a bit of a pet peeve of mine is mm. 
people in the dog training world, uh, or at least some, will kind of classically say like, oh, I like dogs better than I like people. And it's really hard to like make a good connection. And, you know, this is less true now, but when I first got into dog training, a lot of the dog trainers in the area were like very, I don't want to say antisocial, but like not getting a whole lot of invites to like social events type of people. Yeah. And it, it's difficult, I think, for some people with that type of personality to read the room per se, or the, you know, the person in front of them, get a good understanding about how to communicate best with those people. And when it comes to handing someone those technical skills, I think in a lot of cases, you, you really have to have the extra gear to go into if they want it, if they need it, so that, hey, here's exactly what I need you to do. Here's yeah. why intermittent reinforcement is so important. Here's the, a way that I can try and relate it to you as a regular Joe, everyday human mm -hmm. being who doesn't really want to be hearing 65 new terms per lesson. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people do want to know the why. Yeah. And if they want we can to read that why, though within the session, you're like, how much of a why are you wanting to know? Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm happy to, to give you that as best as I can. Um, but me personally, whenever somebody's like, Oh, you should do this, one of the first things I, I might not always verbalize it, but I'm definitely thinking is like, why? Why? Like, well, what is, what's the means here trying to attain? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a lot of people that will ask why. I'm happy to let you know, hey, here's the why, here's what I think, etc. Um, but yeah, man, it is a, a, a bit of a delicate balancing act yeah. to not overload someone who's just, you know, looking for a right, like a fairly straightforward issue. That's uh, true, isn't it? And um, and when it comes to helping an individual, like what you said at the beginning, the reason why we call this podcast Life With Your Dog, the reason for it is because I didn't want it to be like dog training or we're, we're training dogs. It's literally you had a dog. Most people that are listening to this purchased a dog because they wanted to just have a companion and live with the dog yeah. rather than and a lot of other people are listening to this going, no, like I'm, I'm into training. I've got a dog so I can train the dog. So there's like there's different types of personalities and why we would get a dog. One has I have a specific purpose I need the dog to fulfill, even if it's just for myself or for the dog to do a specific job. And and then the other person's like, I don't know, I just got a dog and I have to give him a job. What do you mean? Um, so um, so that's why it has to become life with your dog. We're talking about all facets of a dog ownership because the truth is every moment you're with your dog, your dog is learning anyway. So may as well get into some good habits and understanding how can you maximize the relationship with you have a dog. And basically he like, you know, and how can we live a more meaningful and connected life with our companion? And I guess what was it that, well, first of all, I have to ask because people probably are wondering why barefoot dog trainer, and then what was it that catapulted catapulted you into dog training, and like what were you like your early sort of relationships with with dogs? Yeah, I mean, so my earliest relationships with dogs uh, that I can like clearly remember were just um, Beagles, man. I'm a, I'm a beagle guy. I grew up with a bunch of hunting dogs in the family and, uh, you know, rabbit season was a big deal for the beagles. Um, so those tell us a little bit about that. What, what did that look like? Uh, I mean, we always had a beagle and his name was always buddy. So we growing up, we had, uh, I believe four different variations of how we spell buddy. Wow. Uh, 
had four different beagles and they were just always named Buddy. Um, but you know, going out with the dog with my dad while he was rabbit hunting, you see a different type of dog, you know, not just the dog that can be a bit annoying in the house and makes a lot of noise and is, you know, a, a pain in the butt, but a dog who's driven and he's out there doing something with purpose with the family. Like we're gathering food as a unit. And I don't know, that's something that's stuck with me for a really long time. It's just dogs that go out and do a task like that, specifically in my opinion, around like food acquisition. Yeah, we're going to go get ducks. We're going to go get rabbits or whatever it might be that people are using dogs to hunt with is uh, a really beautiful thing in my opinion. Um, And that's one of my earlier introductions to dogs. You know, we had some kind of like house pet Lhasa Apso type of dogs as well. But for the most part, uh, the dogs we had when I was a kid were, were hunting dogs. So you, you leave the house with the dog, with Buddy, and what does it look like? What, what, what did one, one walk for a hunting walk look like? Did you have to get in the car to oh. go somewhere or was it just literally just? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we had to drive somewhere and every morning was just uh, utter freaking chaos. Uh, okay. So like hunting dogs tend to figure it out really soon. Oh, we're, it's game on today. Right. So my dad would get his hunting jacket on and the dog would just start howling in the house. Yeah. You know, that classic beagle baying, right? Mm-hmm. The dog instantly was like, Oh yeah, we're going, we have to go. Let's get it. Uh, get in the car. He would be kind of fired up, pumped to go. We drive the, you know, however far it was to get to some areas that we could hunt. So in the U S there's a lot of public lands that you can hunt. Uh, and so we would take the dogs out somewhere where it was a uh, public access, let them loose. And basically he's going to do the rest for you. you know, you're just walking big fields. He's going to find where the rabbits are. He puts on a chase. Now it's on. And was that um, multiple times a week or a couple times a month? Usually on the weekends. Um, yep. So like hunting season for small game in the U S varies from state to state. And it also varies on like what you can actually chase. Right. So, uh, you can't hunt deer with a dog in New York, but you can down south in different states. So it just kind of <laughs> depends based yeah. upon where you are and what the season is. Um, but yeah, it was like a, a weekly thing to get the beagle out, let them rip, chase rabbits around, you know. Um, but you build a certain relationship with those dogs through that practice, I think. Something that I don't necessarily know that can be replicated in a dog that we just like go to the park and throw a ball. I'm not diminishing that relationship, mind you, because I've had that relationship with a bunch of my dogs too. They're not hunting dogs. It's a different, different, like if me and you can have a relationship, if we go to work and we have a shitty boss together and we're like, Oh, you know, this like, we're going through the same chaos together. So we become strong, but it's different if we went hunting or or war together, we'd be bonded. We'd be bonded for life. If we did something that was that primal together. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. It's, I don't know. It's something that, uh, especially now as I'm getting older, I just think back about it a lot. And those are some really important memories I had. Um, the dogs were not well-trained at all. Total hooligan rascals, right? Like would do the bare minimum around the house. But like if we weren't hunting and he got out, he's gone now. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, he's just out there. He'll be chasing rabbits by himself. Uh, so, but if yeah, you if you lived in, the, in that situation now with your hunting beagle, it'd be different, right? Oh heck yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not like he had to be wild for him to be able to be hunting. It's just that with what your parents knew and did at the time was different to that. He just was always in drive rather than like exactly. having selected time, or at least not having any control. Well, my house was also just utter chaos all the time. Anyway, okay. I'm, the old, <laughs> I'm the oldest of seven, so there, there was all no right. Life, well, yeah, uh, chaos. So yeah, he was a you know, and I just say he, but they were all buddy, 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 and buddy. You know, just would you get uh, another buddy again? Hell yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Lady is not super fond of loud hound dogs, so I don't okay. know how soon it'll be before yeah. I get a beagle. But yeah, I could totally get down with a beagle. And what catapulted you into wanting to do dog training? Uh, so, like as a kid, I went to some training classes with my mom when uh, I was a you know teenager. She had a golden retriever. Went and did some classes at a local spot. It was cool. I was interested in it, um, but ultimately. You know, just kind of life continues, and I didn't think much of it at the time. Uh, wasn't personally my dog specifically, and I wasn't in charge of the training, so like I didn't get the the whole kind of feel for it. And I think also just certain things hit you differently depending on where you're at in your life. Yep. And so when I was, I'm going to stop just one sec. Um, your yeah. microphone keeps brushing on something, and it and I can always. Hey, yeah, sorry. that's yeah. okay yeah um so yeah i got older and uh i stole a dog from my one of my brothers and um the dog needed some help and i could not give it to him at the time so uh called a bunch of dog trainers in the area the guy who called me back was uh a newer trainer in the area tyler mito so worked with him for a bit and uh it was like one or two lessons in, I remember talking to Jessica, my, my partner, who I'm just like, yeah, I, I think I could do this. This is awesome. You know? And, uh, then I just became incredibly persistent about pursuing dog training. I used to go shovel Tyler's driveway to force him to answer my dog training questions. Nice. How long ago uh, was this? Uh, I started training with him, I think in like 2006. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I started working with him in 2007. Nice. Yeah. That's so, awesome, man. Yeah, I'm a yeah, big fan was, of Tyler. I, I, do, I do like follow his stuff, been to a seminar for him as well, and, and, and he's, he's incredible. Yeah, man, he's a really, really talented dog trainer, you know. Um, we were close for a, a lot of years and then, you know, kind of went our separate ways as life happens. But, uh, yeah, no uh, ill will for the guy or nothing like that. For sure. He, and barefoot, to, just because you like to be barefoot? Uh, yeah, basically he started yeah. calling me that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, especially the summertime in Buffalo, uh, I, I don't wear shoes super often and, you know, we have a really, really long winter here, mm -hmm. uh, and any chance I can to not be wearing boots and like shoes and crap, I'm, I'm all for it. So Perfect. that's what I, yeah, I think uh, today we have a high of like, uh, yeah, today the high was negative two Celsius. Oh wow, that's exciting! Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a bleak <laughs> in, um, in Buffalo, New York for sure. But yeah. when, 
you have the opportunity in the summer, yeah, I'm, I'm usually not wearing shoes. Beautiful. Well, I resonate with that because I would, I agree. Um, yeah. And tell me a little bit about the dogs you own now. Uh, so right now I have a Dutch Shepherd and I have a Patterdale. Both of them are around nine or ten. So they're both, you know, older dogs. Um, the Patterdale I got from a, a guy in a different state, uh, Tennessee. So a little, <clears throat> if you're not familiar with Patterdale, it's basically like a dark colored Jack Russell. You know, they're gnarly. I've seen your dog um, on, on your Instagram and stuff. So I know. Yeah. But shouldn't but but I've never seen one in real life though I don't think yeah they're not really common they're definitely increasing in popularity but um, they're a small dog but they're a lot to handle they're pretty intense it's not super dissimilar to a Jack Russell they've just not really been bred for anything but beating the crap out of other animals so. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, there, there's not a lot of them that are bred for looking pretty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think she's, she's great, cute. Oh, she's awesome. I love her to death. But you know, if she weighed 80 pounds, she'd be a nightmare. Yes. I think I understand what you mean. And your Dutchie? Um, my Dutch Shepherd I got from another dog trainer. Um, I remember when you first dog- got, got, is it a male or female? Uh, male. Yeah. Yeah, and that was like what, like four years ago, maybe or longer. I think it was longer, but I'm terrible with that type of crap. Yeah. Okay. And what was the reason for the other trainer moving him on? Uh, he was biting the hell out of people. Uh huh. Yeah, and so my buddy who had him um, got him out in California. Had done some training with him and Michael Ellis, um, and some of the girls that Mike has working out there, Sarah. Uh, in particular, I think. And uh, he was living on a mountain, quite literally, just growing weed out there. Okay. And he would go into town, do some dog training gigs, and then head back to the mountain. And so the dog just basically had the opportunity to like do a real version of what a duchy is supposed to do, is just kind of roam around and alert the land. people coming up the mountain. Yeah, all, all the crap he's supposed to be doing. But then he moved back to New York and he moved into... A well, he was getting proper live bites on, on the mountain. Uh, at least a couple. Yeah. But, yeah. But he um, got to rehearse the behavior for real. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he's a really naturally suspicious dog. Mm-hmm. You know, new people come around. He's not like, oh, rub my tummy like we're good buddies. It, mm-hmm. It'll be a bit before he makes a real connection. Yeah. Um, but then... Uh, he moved back to New York. He moved in with three roommates, which come with three roommates worth of guests, and Nazgul was biting all of them. Happy to put a hole in someone. So he would call me for advice because I had helped him get into dog training a bunch of years back and, and done some work with him when he first started. And he would ask me some questions, and I would uh, half-jokingly tell him all the time, well, you know, what do I do with this? What do I do with that? I say a lot to just give me the dog. <laughs> Give them to me, right? Because I really, I liked the dog a lot. We got along pretty well. Yep. Uh, and then one day after he had bit, you know, two or three other people, he hit me up and was like, hey, man, like, are you serious? And so, hell yeah, send him on down. Now the dude lives with me. Nice. And what's he yeah, like? He's a great dog. What's that? What's he like now? Uh, I mean, he's he's still pretty happy to bite stuff. 
but uh, I live a totally different lifestyle and I don't have that many guests in and out of the house. And when Mm -hmm. I do, it's easy for me to manage him. And, you know, he basically just hangs out with me and my lady loves her death, which is great. Um, But overall, he's pretty easy to handle. In my opinion, if I was living in a household with three other people and in and out and that type of thing would make life with him a lot. Totally. And do you use your dogs to work with like socialization and things like that with your clients? Yeah, depending on their dog. Um, My Patterdale is real small. She's like 12 pounds. So I don't really subject her to too many client dogs. Uh, And she's good at being social. You know, she is a social dog, but she's also 12 pounds. Yeah, the liability is too high. Yeah, and then like liability for her is really high and she doesn't mind setting a boundary. Hey, Mm -hmm. leave me alone, type of crap. Yeah. Uh, and some dogs really take offense to that if they're not socially adept. So not a ton with her, but you know, I don't do as much um, large field socialization or Chad Mackin style socialization anymore these days. Yeah. But when I do need a dog, I got the homies. For sure. I love that. And a random generic question, and we've already mm-hmm. kind of answered it. But it kind of, it's going to kind of tie in together. Is that what is like? So when you or you're seeing you, you're basically full time doing dog training, right? Throughout the week. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, when you say that you want people to have that more meaningful connection, and they have a reactivity issue, how are we tying all that together? And as we said, we kind of touched on before. We want to give them the you know a, the why to what they could digest and understand. The what, obviously, so they can like work on it, and you know the difference between just solving the problem or like dealing with the core issue, and um, how can we make that correlation between fixing the problem that's probably frustrated the crap out of people, and then trying to get people to find that meaningful connection while trying to go through that frustration of the behaviors that they have to deal with day in day out. Yeah, that's a good question, and you know it's something that I I do take seriously, and I it's kind of one of the things I like the most about dog training is, is teaching people, not just here's how you teach a dog to sit and here's how you get your dog to walk nicely on a leash, but then how we can utilize those things to kind of make their life with their dog a little bit more robust. So um, for something like reactivity, I sometimes talk about it like just learning how to drive in inclement weather Mm -hmm. Uh, where I live this year, we had two different snowstorms. One uh, dropped like six feet of snow, seven feet of snow. 40 people died. It was like an insane blizzard. So you're not really driving in that. Yeah. Right. But we had a bunch of other snowstorms where we might get a foot of snow. You know, we might get three, five inches of snow. And mostly the city just continues to function. You just have stuff you have to do. You can't wait out the entirety of winter here. I have friends that live in Georgia and Florida. And if they get an inch of snow, the whole city shuts down. Yeah. Right. And part of it for them is they don't have the infrastructure to take care of the snow, which I, I think is true, but also they don't really ever get a chance to practice. And so mindset for it, yeah. Yeah. They don't have a, a technical skill set. And, you know, when you hear certain people in the dog training industry say things like we have to like have the right energy and you have to be calm. 
sometimes that like kind of rubs me the wrong way. And I don't mean to like point the finger at anybody in particular, but just in this driving metaphor, if you don't know how to drive in the snow and I tell you to use the right energy and to be calm, that doesn't actually help anything. You just calmly at best crash your car. So you have to actually develop a technical skill set that allows you to function in that situation. And that's my first job when it comes to somebody who has a dog that is being explosive on a leash, right? It's doing these huge, exaggerated, threatening displays. I need to be able to show you how to physically manage this dog's behavior. Then you can put your own style on it. Then you can get artful. But in the beginning, I got to teach you how to drive in the snow. And mm-hmm. a lot of that to me is, is what the real value of obedience is. Yep. Do I need my dog to like do a bunch of funky obedience? No, but it's an easy way for me to teach people different technical skill sets that allow them to practice the things they're going to need to utilize in a moment of which their dog might be flying off the handle and acting like a total knucklehead. Yes. And it's almost then like through that process of learning how to use the leash properly and when and how to deliver rewards and how to utilize all of the tools at our disposal to get your dog to be managed at the very like bottom rung of the ladder of what we should expect is I can manage my dog's behavior around another dog. I don't need him to be friendly or like to sniff his butt, but I do need him to like be under effective control. Yeah, exactly. Keep themselves together that's where we have to start. And then from there, they can actually take a deep breath and relax. Mm-hmm. They can feel calm and comfortable. Right. It's like, if my car is sliding in the snow, I don't panic. I just deal with it. It's happened yeah. to me a thousand times. Well, I guess this is what we're doing. I just have to address it. But that's only because I have a technical skill set. So that's like the first thing I always try and focus on with people is here's how we're going to hold the leash. Here's how we're going to use the leash to communicate. Here's why we're starting this way. So that, you know, they say, yeah, yeah, but he walks okay when he, there's no other dogs around. It's like, no, he probably doesn't. The the amount of people that say that are like, no, he's totally fine. It's just when a dog comes around, then it all goes out the window. It's like, yeah, I don't believe you. Right. Like I, I just am looking at a different message. Yeah. So I want to start mm-hmm. there. And then it gives us the opportunity to really work with an owner in a sense that allows them to get to the point where they can see another dog. They can keep themselves together, keep their dog together. And that process allows them to go out, experience more stuff with their dog, not feel so concerned. Uh, crap. I couldn't walk my dog to the farmer's market. There's going to be other dogs who will lose his mind. Yeah. It's like, no, we can, we can usually get to that point where we're going to be able to do those things. There's always dogs out there that like, no, man, you probably shouldn't be at the farmer's market with that yeah. dog. However, we should be able to get you to a much, much more manageable circumstance. But you're a dog trainer, right? And you shouldn't probably today just invite 50 people in your house unannounced, just walk in, the doors open, because you know your dog may not tolerate that. <laughs> so... Part of good training, what I've learned, and at the beginning, I thought it was a cop out, and I and I probably assumed that it was like you're not doing training properly. It's like no, no. One thing I've learned is manage your dog appropriately, and then you can train your dog and you know rehabilitate, you know, apply behavior modification to his life so that we can teach him to tolerate. Just like we said before, and I and it is hard, right? 
you want to teach people leash handling. All right. So this is where the slip leash should sit on the dog. This is like changing direction. This is how you apply the pressure. This is how you issue a correction. Let's just like walk up and down a little bit first. Let's get you walking like how the dog should be walking. And then we can layer in the stuff with the food. Get your dog's attention. Let's reinforce the good behaviors. Imagine the first time ever driving analogy. Oh, it's your first time, Josh, for driving. Cool. Well, it's sleety and snowing outside. Let's go and drive on the ice. It's like, that's ridiculous. Um, Maybe we should drive normally and then we slowly build on the ice. So you can't bring on so many so much input to the to the um, owner by saying, all right, this is how you do the leash handling. With your left hand, you're putting pressure on, pressure off, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, by the way, you know, give commands and issue markers before you touch the pouch. Oh, my gosh, you've already lost them, right? So, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. You say, get, let's get the physical control first. We can keep them a little bit under threshold. Then we can start telling them, hey, let's do this cool stuff that we do at home normally. And the dog's like, oh, wow. I mean, you do that here too? He's like, yeah, we yep. can do that anywhere, bro. He's like, oh, but I thought I had to kill the dog over there. He's like, you don't have to do nothing, bro. Just check in on me. I'll sort it out. And once there's that message, you can like see that moment where the dog gets it and the owner gets it. There's like, there is that, as you as we talked before, the meaningful and connected lives. Like they, they're, they're talking to each other. You're like, well, that's what he needed, bro. You think you're walking exactly. nicely. Oh, my dog walks nicely. I'm like, sure, sure. I don't even want you to show me because- what you think walking nicely is just like a tolerable walk that I couldn't even, I, I don't even want that to be even the the um, the last priority of his walk. Um, but yeah, what does walking, my dog walks okay. Like what does that even mean um, to most people? And I'll tell you what it means for me and you can, you can tell me your version is that when the leash is on, as far as I'm concerned, now I don't know what it's like in America, but in Australia walking the left-hand side of the footpath, I want dogs on the left-hand side of me away the outside of any other oncoming people and dogs so dogs on the left hand side he can see me in his peripheral vision so if i slow down he slows down i stop he stops i walk he walks and we walk together that would be a loose leash walk do you agree with that yeah man absolutely yeah 100 percent. and you know a big part of it to me is i when i first got into training dogs I was a heck of a lot more likely to have some pretty like hard and fast rules. This is what it should look like. This is what it should be like. Mm-hmm. Uh, if somebody's looking to get their dog into a competition per se, great. Then like, yeah, we do have to have some more rigidized standards for what this behavior has to look like and, and how it has to function. But for most people, they're just looking for, a, you know, a reasonably well-mannered companion on a walk. Yeah. And so, I don't make a huge preference for most people about left or right hand side. I don't care if you want your dog on the right, walk them on the right. If you want them on the left, walk them on the left. It's not that hard for the dog to figure out both sides, right? Like we definitely. Do that. But you know, I almost look at it as a like a time clock job where you got to punch in, you got to punch out. Mm-hmm. And when we're walking up the street, you're punched in. I need you to be more psychologically aware or like more mentally aware of what I'm doing than just physically. Yep. So I shouldn't be having to like constantly remind you with the leash. Hey, slow down. Hey, stop. Hey, sit. Hey, come back over here at a certain point. That's, that's kind of your task is to be with me and doing what we're doing simply because we live in a weird society where there's cars (laughs) and sidewalks and stuff. Uh, Not on the the side of the mountain growing weed. Yeah, no, man, it's a bummer, right? Uh, But ultimately, you know, for the most part, I'm looking for people to be able to get themselves to a point 
where they feel comfortable walking their dog and drinking a coffee or like eating an ice cream cone. It shouldn't require two hands all the time and like constant managing of the dog's physical behavior. Yeah. And to your point, when we're moving, you move with me. When I stop, you stop with me. And that's kind of the you know direction I like. You don't have to, to be in a heel. Don't be staring at me. Like seriously, yeah. if I'm walking, don't be staring yeah. at me. Look yeah. around, but just know where I am. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. And you know, that's kind of my definition. If somebody wants something that's a little bit more uh you know rigid, fine. We, you know, we can probably get there depending on why and what it is you're trying to accomplish. But yes. For the most part, yeah, man, just walk with me. Let's look at the sunset, hang out, enjoy each other's company. Yeah. Just a companion. Yeah. I, I like to think of, and we did an episode on this talking about dog training is either a form of language that we teach our dog. So a set of communication cues so the dog can respond, but then also dog training is providing a sport for your dog to be mentally and physically fulfilled. And some people require one more than the other. I think you can't have one or the other. I think they all come hand in hand. Like, um, do you guys get a lot of Kelpies in America? No. Like a sheepdog, border collie, same sort of thing, right? So you have have the the working dog, the sheepdog. You're not fulfilling him, giving him a sport. You're only – trying to teach through dog training, just communication. I think you, know, you should like fulfill him in, his, in the background of his life, indirectly have him biologically fulfilled so that when you do enter the weird world of the artificial you know, nature we live in, houses next to each other, people don't even know each other, there's dogs on leashes, the most unnatural thing we do to dogs, stimulus through the roof, more dogs and dogs each year that happens. So everything out there is chaos. You need to bring some order. If you don't have a fulfilled animal prior to that activity, then he's going to find every any opportunity to just fly off the Richter scale compared to, well, I've kept you under threshold because we've done, you know, a decent or an adequate amount of working for the ball and working for the tug. And, you know, it doesn't have to be grueling. A five-minute tug training session while teaching your dog commands is actually a really fun time um, if you <laughs> can be bothered, right? But if you can't be bothered, then I don't understand why you have that breed which is always what perplexes me. But, um, but yeah, like fulfilling them as well as teaching them how to live. And I think most people just want us to come and go, can I just teach the dog to do the thing? And I'm like, you need to be in the lifestyle of giving your dog a job on a daily level so that he's already fulfilled so he's not trying to find fulfillment outside of you. Can you add or correct me for anything there? Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's right on. And, and to add to it, it's difficult to teach someone something who doesn't want to learn yeah, or is in a position that like doesn't have any real interest. And there's a lot of people who have a dog that's fearfully flying off the handle on a leash towards other dogs or people or whatever it might be. And there's other dogs that are doing it out of frustration. And either way, I see a ton of people outside with their dogs in public around huge amounts of stimulation and distraction. And their dog is just kind of frivolously dumping all of their mental intention into the environment. That's like all they're doing, right? Is they're walking around looking at everything, but their owner engaging with everything, but their owner. Mm -hmm. And of course it's hard to communicate with that 
animal. You know, it's not much different than you and I right now have set aside this time to talk and, you know, be able to kind of like look each other in the face and have a discussion. But how many times are you hanging out with somebody in person and half of them is just staring at their phone mm. instead of looking you in the face and having a conversation? Yeah. And you can talk to that person, but you're getting a fraction of their brain power. Yeah. Right. And I see a lot of dogs that kind of exist similarly in a sense. And owners take their dog down. They go, well, I just want to teach him to like do this. It's like, yeah, but you can't because he doesn't care about what you're saying at all. The dog's concerned with a bunch of other things that they find to be more reinforcing for one reason or another. Mm. It's almost like if you're not going to be disciplined yourself, how can you enforce discipline onto somebody else? And obviously, for everyone to know, we're not talking about discipline like the ability to get somebody in trouble. We're talking about the discipline to adhere to the things you said you would adhere to. Um, just sure. the, other, the other day, I was showing my dad a video of my son we were making a little fire so we can cook the coals and cook our steaks. He's like three and a half years old, got a stick, and he's like learning about fire, touching the hot stick and going, ow. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's what burning is feeling like, right? <laughs> yeah. you know? So you got to like let him experience it now. I don't know if my wife can hear me, but anyway, she's right. Like when she decides to come outside, she's like trying to control it. Cause you know, being motherly, she's like, Oh my God, he's going to do this. Oh my God. I was like, can you like stop it? Let him like, I'm, I'm doing my training session with the little man. Okay. So yeah. he's there doing his thing. Right. So it's an important experience for him right now. And then I'm recording this whole thing. And then he throws the stick like quick. And he's like, th- lops it into the bushes and just runs off. And I'm like, oh, I stopped him. I'm like, listen, you need to come back, get the stick put it back in the fire. You're not allowed to throw sticks that have been in the fire into the bushes. Cause now this whole thing's on video. It's like a minute and a half of like following it through and not picking the stick up and giving it to him. Like, no, no, he has to find the stick, pick it up himself. It's a grueling exercise where I could have just watched him run off, grab the stick, put it in the fire, but there's no learning there. Anyway. So for me, that was just normal. Nothing happened except when I was showing my dad the video, he's, he said two things. He goes, Oh, it's really cool that he listens to you but it's really good that you're teaching him that and you can watch all my, I guess we'll call commands to him, like telling him what to do and following it through. That's the discipline of it. Um, The discipline of keeping your room clean is not about someone getting you in trouble because you haven't cleaned it. It's about you put all your shit away when you have to, because you have to. And that's no one lording it over you except for yourself. And if you are disciplined, then you will act disciplined and teach about discipline to the things that rely on you, children, dogs, you know, your employees, whatever. So um, I think people need to exercise discipline more often so that they can expect someone that they are in their care to be disciplined. Discipline equals yeah. freedom, right? Like a Jocko Willink statement. Yeah, I think uh, to, to a certain degree uh, that's true. And um, I, th- I think ultimately being able to be consistent in something is sometimes more important than having like an innate skill set. Yes. And, and I think you see that in all types of different endeavors from dog training to jujitsu to whatever it is that you want to put your time and effort in. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just continue to show up and do it. Yep. And to that end, I think there is something important that a lot of dog owners and, and like John Q public style leash handlers miss out is what they're allowing a dog to engage in becomes Mm. a habitual behavior 
And so it's not even out. just about the recall, right? Like, oh, I, no. I, I'm not disciplined enough to put a long leash on my dog and teach recall when we're out from time to time. Instead, you let the dog off the leash and engage with everything else in the environment and not you. So you could have been consistent yeah. just to keep a leash, the long leash. That that in and of itself, even if it's not a specific um, technique you're working on, just the practice of having that long leash on will will make the recall even better than letting him to his own device. Is that what you mean? Uh, yeah, that's part of what I mean. Yeah, having that consistent application of the you know kind of training, but also like just the time of training. Yeah, and it doesn't always have to be like we're going to set aside an hour every day and do training. Not everybody has that, and that's understandable. But you know, you brought up recall, and I can use that as an example because I think it's it's a, actually a really good one. But the amount of people that say, "Yeah, if my dog gets off a leash, he's not coming back," like I don't think people truly understand the level to which that normally has some big implications about how the dog views the owner. Not always. Some dogs mm. just, they got to run, man. They just want to yeah. take off and run. Right? But there's a ton of dog owners that if their dog gets more than 20 feet away from them, they're like, yeah, no, thank you. I'm not dealing with you. And to I'm not that into you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like to a great extent, I don't think that's even about, um, you know, discipline in the sense of like, I have to like, stop or interrupt this behavior i think it's about discipline in the sense of you haven't even taken the time to connect with this thing that you're living with regularly and consistently enough that when you call his name he's like hey what's up dude yeah. what are we doing yeah are we gonna like get after it because you can like see how most of us now there's a lot of people that i know so maybe it's not that normal, but it seems like it's it's the normal that when your phone rings, uh, it's almost always voicemail, mm. right? Like people just like send it to voicemail. Uh, but there's other people that always get their phone call answered. Mm. And I think how we judge that isn't based upon like, well, this guy gave me 20 bucks or whatever. It's not about, well, he gave me a reward. I enjoy talking and spending time with this person. So when they call me, yeah, what's up? I'm going to answer. And there's other people uh, that are just like a nagging, hey, did you do that thing I wanted you to do yet? Where like, yeah, I'll get to you when I get to you. And I see a lot of that in dogs with their owners. Yeah. Where people call their dog and he's like, voicemail, I'm busy. I'm having a lot of fun. You're going to have me to wear come home and i'm just not ready for it whereas you see a lot of people who have a really really good recall maybe not world-class aesthetic the dog doesn't run and sit in a really like perfect position but the dog comes back damn near 100 percent of the time right so i say the dog's name and bam they're back to me like a rocket yeah that's something that isn't just about tangible rewards that I'm delivering to the dog. And it's not just about corrections applied to incorrect behaviors, mm-hmm. right? It isn't just reinforcement and punishment at a certain point, it becomes something else becomes yeah. a little bit more of a philosophical type of interaction. It becomes more like I'm like, I listen to my parents, let's say, because I have to, 
And it's like, what does I have to mean? Because if I was five, yeah, I'm having to because <laughs> yeah. I have the power to lord it over me, right? Now, yeah. 15, I'm just still a little bit unsure. I'll rebel, but I'll still listen because they did the discipline raising up to 15 that I'm like, they've got me. Even though I was straight off somewhere, I came back. So yeah. I'm 33 and like my parents couldn't physically make me do anything, but it's like, yeah, but they're my parents and- like they haven't ill-treated me. They've given me a good life and, and all of that. So, yeah, there's a philosophical nature of I please them even if they're not even around because it's part of that, the belonging of a unit, right? And Absolutely. does your dog see you as a unit? Does he want to even hang out with you? Where there's some people that are that have biologic, like there are some biological fathers, but they aren't the social father, like in terms of their, yeah, I'm, I'm your dad. You should listen to me. It's like, dude, I haven't seen you in six years. How could I have a bond with you? How could I want to be with you? If we're going to be out in the field and there's other appealing things over there, I'm going over there. You can say whatever you want. I, like there's no need for me to be with you. I don't respect you. And I think we think, oh, but my dog loves me. And we assume love should equal respect. But I think love and respect must be, like they're, they're on two different um, spectrums, so to speak. You can love someone and not respect them. You can respect them and not love them. I think you have to work on both love and respect with your dog. Your dog needs to want to be with you and also know that he should be with you. And then over time, you have that relationship. You're like, I can let you go. You all, Like we can go to the field and you can go hunt your rabbits. But you know what? Even though your dog buddy wasn't fully trained you know, to the standards that you would prefer to have now, the dog still had enough love and respect that even though there was more rabbits out there, he still came back, I'm assuming. <laughs> you only yes. had four buddies. Yes. So it's not like you had like 55 yeah. million buddies. Right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, like that love and respect, like, oh, but he loves me. It's like, yeah, but like, what does that even mean? Um, sure. You know, and then that does get philosophical because then like, what well, is it love or attachment? And then we're going down a whole nother topic of conversation, right? But how can yeah, you absolutely. not ask these questions when you're in this field? We're talking about motivating another animal, another species, to, and they and dogs and people kind of live like we'll talk about wolves or the ancestors of the dog. We live pretty similarly. Family packs work together, hunt and gather, all that sort of shit. So like almost like we are kind of very similar. Um, having domestic dogs is not the same as the the wild animal, but there is still that. Well, first of all, we are demigods to dogs, right? So they have to want to be with us too, right? Sure. It's just. What is your daily practice reinforce? Like, not we won't, let's not use the word reinforcing, but how are you facilitating your dog to want to be with you? And that does come outside of the training of it. It's almost like a side effect of training or at least learning about dogs. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, it's like a paraphrase of a Aristotle quote. said, like, we are what we habitually do. Excellence, therefore, is nothing but a habit. Wow, yeah, and and it's it's some paraphrase of that, but ultimately, I think there's a lot of truth to it. And you see this with people that achieve excellence; they tend to kind of have that approach to a whole bunch of things, not just mm. the one thing that they exactly. Yes, and I think with a lot of dog owners, they kind of like discount how important it is. And how meaningful it is to have someone tell you, hey, what you're doing is actually incorrect. It's wrong. It's uncool. Don't do that. 
Uh, and it's not super popular to do that, mm-hmm. but it has to be done. And yeah. So even my best friends in the world uh, that I see all the time, and I've known them since we were like freaking 15, we'll make a, it's not even a joke at this point, but I do say it a lot that you can't be my friend for that long if you won't tell me if my zipper's down or if <laughs> I have something teeth, right? And people will say like, oh, I just didn't want to be rude. It's like, no, that was rude, actually. That is rude, yes. And and I think to a certain degree, there is some of that that has to kind of come into dog training. You know, it's like my dog yep. likes to bite people. He likes it. Okay, but like, dude, no. <laughs> I invited this person into my living room. This is not ever the time we're doing that game. Yeah. Right. Like I'll take you and see our friends and you can beat the crap out of them in the suit every week on Tuesday. That's what we do. However, inside my house, when I bring my sister in, no, leave her alone. It's not yep. on the table. And because we've been able to go through instances like that with a dog, they get a more dynamic experience. They get a more robust living arrangement because they can do more stuff. Exactly. Partly why they can do more stuff is they've been effectively told no or punished for behavior. Mm -hmm. Hey man, you just literally can't do that. Okay. Let's move on. People we like really trip out. I remember I could, I remember this one dog and it was like, and I can remember like it was yesterday. It was like a Labradoodle or something. And I walk in, dog was like really hesitant of me, really like, you know, fearful. We just like carry on with our session, working on what we normally do at the beginning. And um, like she'll hang out close to me, but you can tell she like wasn't comfortable to be close to me. So I just let her to her own device. But she jumped on like, you know, the, the four-year-old or whatever. And mum was standing there, didn't do anything. So I had to like go in and like uh-uh, give a little poke to the side of the rib and like don't jump on the kid. Um, yeah. You don't jump on the kid even when I – if, even if no one's going to follow it through, just so you know, if I'm here, you don't jump on children. That's just how it is. Um, I swear. And it wasn't a big correction, just a quick little poke to the rib. And immediately it was the weirdest thing. She just came and sat next to me and I patted her. And then the the owner was like, that's like she got so like funnily got up, got annoyed, right? She's like, well, that's bullshit. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, well, she was like, at least someone tells the truth around here. Sure. Because think about it. She jumps, she jumps, she jumps. You get mad because you've been like trying to push her away and talk to her. So you've effectively been playing with her every time she jumps on the kid. And then, and then you get angry enough and then you just want to boot her up the ass. It's, and I use this analogy similar to what you said. They say, me and you just started hanging out. And then six months down the track, I make a joke that I regularly make these type of jokes. Let's say I'm making, I don't know, just for hypothetical, I'm making a racist joke. I've made a few of them in front of you before. You've said nothing. One day I say something in the car and then you freak out at me and you tell me off. And then even though I've made the inappropriate remark, I'm pissed off with you because I'm like, dude, I've said this shit heaps of times in front of you and you said nothing. You could have at least from the beginning gone, that really makes me uncomfortable, whatever. I think it's rude. You probably shouldn't say that shit, man. Rather than one day blowing up and just freaking out, going, get out of my car. I never want to see you again. It's like- you went from hot to cold, bro. Just like your dog, you walk it down yep. the street, your dog's performing every behavior you don't like, but then one version of the behavior you see, and then you freak out because you're frustrated and you're angry. Um, and then your dog's like, dude, that was like uncalled for compared to if you can just be assertive over a child and a dog, 
not assertive like to freak them out, assertive to like draw the line in the sand. I can guarantee they'll listen and want to hang out with you because it's just part of our nature. But for some reason, we've lost it um, in terms of popular advice. Mm-hmm. Things that we're saying now seems like a cruel thing, but we're saying actually if you can just be moderate with how you communicate, then your dog actually understands you. Your dogs aren't stupid. <laughs> They're not like robots where you just plug in good information only. I think it's stupid. Yeah, and it, it just doesn't, you know, give a very clear picture, you know. And there, the classic example I, I've seen a lot is, you know, a dog's jumping up on people. And you can read advice from any number of different sources of, you know, okay, we'll tell the dog to sit and then reward the dog for sitting. You can turn your back and like use negative punishment, right? So we can take away the opportunity to interact with people. And I think they can be effective in certain contexts, but this idea of like tell the dog to sit and reward him for sitting doesn't ever actually dot the I's and cross the T. Yes. Do not jump on people. Exactly. Right? Like you cannot behave that way. I need both pieces of information, right? I need, oh, okay. Like I can also get rewarded for sitting, but definitely don't blow four-year-olds off their feet. Got it. Mm -hmm. Cool. Now we're in business. I've got all the appropriate information. I can make the best and most educated decision. Yep. You know, and to your point, in my opinion, consistency is fairness. And if yep. I consistently allow a dog to participate in a behavior, and then one day it's like, now I'm going to start stopping it. I'm going to start adding some sort of physical correction. And I'm going to do it intermittently, depending on my level of frustration. That's super unfair to a dog. Yeah, They can't predict the why. They can't predict the when. It becomes really tough for them to understand what in the world is going on. Yeah. But that's grandma. You can't jump on grandma. You can jump on everyone else, but not grandma. It's like, so are we scared of, are we, are we frightened of grandma now? Or, or yeah. does that does that help you for when you have to manage and control your dog in other circumstances? See, everything's connected. Don't think out in the walk is different to how you interact in the home. They are all extensions of each other. And you have to be consistent. Whatever rule you've set, the rules are set. Just stick to it. So much easier than jumping from one to the other. It's um, it's also people don't have the the I guess the understanding to be, you know, to effectively use the three P's: practice, patience, persistence. You know, when my son was around six months old, I'm using heaps of child examples only because we can we can utilize the same sort of example. But see, with humans, they grow up so much slower. So you can see that you have to be so much more consistent. <laughs> up yeah. until, you know what I mean? Where with the dog, by the time you've been consistent for six months, it's like, you're doing well. Now we can do this. Where six months is like nothing for the child. And when my son was around six months old, I was, talk- and I was talking to an- another um, parent, a parent group or whatever, and we're talking about like sleep training and, you know, just teaching him how to go through sleep cycles. And it's all very much the same concepts that we um, mess around with on a daily basis. And, and he's like, yeah, and we t- and I discussed three different ones that I had, like, come across. And he's like, yeah, you know what? Like, we tried all three of those. And I'm like, it's only been six months. How could you even been done? How could you even be finished with one? Like, it's impossible. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the point is that you haven't even been consistent enough. to. You couldn't even practically have done the first one. You couldn't have done three of them. 
So you're under this assumption, you've done all this training with your dog, I've seen all, seen all the trainers, it's been four months and, you know, all this. I'm like, I don't even think you've begun the journey yet compared to, you know, seeing any results. But, you know, it's it's really about trying to educate that dogs think differently to humans, but even when humans are dealing with humans, they still don't be consistent. So, you know, how do you motivate somebody who doesn't think they need motivating because they think you're going to fix the dog, right? where you have to try to make them do the thing. And and there is a bit of reverse psychology in, in a way. Like you can let your dog come inside since your dog's like out of control let, inside the house. Let's establish some boundaries. But I want him to start spending a bit more time outside because that's what you want because you've got to suck on to work and blah, blah, blah. He can come inside, but you must train and walk him first. And that way that he'll be tired and fulfilled and you can do the stuff and then he's gone his walk because you only walk him once a week, which is ridiculous. But you, sure. I know that you want him inside but you know that you need to get him out and about before he does come in. And that way there, um, indirectly reinforcing you to do the behavior that you need to do so that your dog can do the thing you need to do. And then there's that, that kind of that, that paradox, right? And people, do, and people have to make sure that they, from a training perspective, I think they should not know your tactic. Otherwise, they know what you're doing and then they'll stop. They, they won't do it. Sure. Yeah, and, you know, that's, that's true over the years of just, working with human beings you learn almost as many tricks of the trade about teaching humans as you do dogs yeah um but you know uh there's a dog trainer out of chicago named mark goldberg's pretty pretty long time trainer um but i heard him talking to somebody else before but you know he said it a bunch of times is a don't ever be more committed to your client's success than they are yeah and, and there's sure. a certain truth to that is I can't force them to do the work. And if what's going to happen is like, you're treating me like some sort of plumber yeah. or I just show up, I fix it. You give me money and I leave and you don't have to change anything about your behavior. It's just not going to function well. Yeah. It's, we're not going to see any results. Yeah. I'll show up and your dog will do the thing when I'm there. And then when I leave, he's going to go right back to whatever the hell he was doing. Right? Mm-hmm. So it, it has to be something that people do have some initiative for. Yeah. You know, and they've done the, the right thing. They picked up the phone. They found a professional. They like paid the money and set up the time and all that. But unfortunately, it's a living creature. So you got to do that a lot. Yeah. It takes repetition, as you said. So Exactly. You know. I've got one more thing I want to talk to you about before I have to wrap up. And ironically, I'm going to ask you about BJJ and I have to wrap up so I can take my son to his fourth BJJ lesson and he's been enjoying it. Um, So um, I understand and know that you've done BJJ, you've been doing it for a while now. And and I've done a little bit of, I've dabbled in um, BJJ and a little bit of MMA and boxing and a couple of other different arts over the last like decade. And I really do resonate with martial art practice, not so much only for like the skills of it, but also everything that comes with it. And I wanted to get your perspective of the connection between what you experience within BJJ and how that has benefited you as a dog trainer and not just in terms of your physical skills, but also just the everything that happens in the background, like the software of it. Because as I kind of mentioned before, dog training can be a language as well as a sport. Well, BJJ is obviously a sport. And there is a lot of, in my opinion, a lot of connections between 
you know, working with dogs and like working yourself through a martial art. And I'd be keen to hear what your thoughts on, on that is. Yeah. I mean, honestly, a big part of jujitsu for me is just showing up to class Mm -hmm. and that like, that's the number one thing. And there's some people that I have seen, uh, in both the jujitsu and the dog training world burn themselves out really quick because they start and it's all they care about. It's the only thing they seemingly have going on. And so they dump all their time, energy, passion, free time, all that like goes into this new thing. And then six months, a year later, it's like, eh, it's not really hitting me the same way anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really important during that time. If you want to truly get better at something, you have to persist through that struggle. You have to keep going to class. You know, like a black belt is just a white belt who kept showing up. Like that's, that's really a, like a cliche, but it's true. And I feel very similar about it to dog training. You know, there's days where like, do I want to go walk my dog three miles and it's negative two? Not always, but like, yeah, I got to get him out. Like we got to do stuff, you know, um, if that's the commitment. So otherwise I think when it comes to jujitsu specifically, it, it starts to make you feel different in certain circumstances that otherwise I think people would get nervous or, you know, I'm not saying like, I'm Jet Li or anything crazy like that. However, I know through my experiences with jujitsu, how many people that start and they just have no real clue how to work their body, right? Like they just don't know how to use their body in a way that's going to keep them safe or whatever, you know, be defensive. I think to a certain degree, there's, there's a lot of dogs that are kind of like that too. And if we're not practicing, you know, I see this a lot. People will take their dog out and they want their dog to perform at a really high level. And they might not know that's what they're asking, but they are asking them to do that. They bring their dog out. They want to walk them down the street. And there's five dogs behind fences that are basically calling you every slur under the sun. They might as well be like brandishing a firearm at you, right? Like they're looking ferocious. They're freaking out because there's a dog near their fence. And I want my dog to totally ignore it, mind his own business, and like, uh, you know, just walk gingerly by. It takes time and it takes practice. And it's the same thing as jujitsu. You know, somebody grabs a hold of your arm and it's now you're going to learn jujitsu when it's happening. Mm -hmm. That's like, that's a tough sell. And it's the same for people who take their dog out and their dog starts flying around at the end of the leash, barking, going crazy. They go, you know what? Now I'm going to implement some of this dog training stuff. (laughs) Like it's a bit bit late at the moment. You got to set the foundation long before you can really, you know, utilize it. I think a lot of people are trying to learn how to dance when they're on stage at the recital. It's like not the right time there. And so it's really about getting that, that brain and body working together under pressure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then consistency of learning a skill so that it can become something that I've learned that that I heard recently is going from an, a a closed loop um, system to an open loop system. So being the closed loop is that you're thinking about the technique and then you go into an open loop where the technique just becomes more, um, um, just 
reflexive, right? And um, and then put that into context because not every time someone puts their hands on you, you have to wrap around like an octopus. Sometimes you can exactly. just take a step back and just put your hand on the other person's hands. Like, Excuse me, can you get your hand off me? But having that level of cool under that sort of pressure, some people who's not trained will freak out just because they, someone got their hand on their chest. It's like, hey, um, you got your hand on your chest, can you let go? Compared to someone who may, let's just say, and not all the time, has had very little training or no training, doesn't know how to act under that pressure, gets grabbed and boom, goes into fight flight straight away. And it's like you have to – and how many dogs just see a dog and go, that's it, I'm going to die today, I have to kill that dog. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what are you thinking? Yeah. So, yeah, we haven't got a place for them to to be able to perform. That's really cool. I really love that. Um, man, I've got so many other things that I want to talk to you about, but we can most certainly leave it for, for um, the next time that we get you back on the show because you're definitely coming back on. Um, yeah, man. Love it's, been, it's been an awesome time chatting with you, bro. And thanks so much for making the time to come on and say hello. Thanks for having me, dude. It's a, it's been been blast. Um, good to see you again. Now, before you go, I want you to um, just let everyone know where they can find you and also give us some details about your seminars that are coming up. Uh, yeah, cool. Um, so coming up, I am going to be headed to – uh, Auckland, the 29th and 30th of April. Um, so coming up fast. So quick. then I will be in, uh, Melbourne from, uh, May five, six and seven. And then I'm going to be up in the, uh, sunshine coast, May 12, 13 and 14. Um, so all those are kind of coming up pretty quick. Otherwise you can find me online barefoot dog trainer. Um, yeah, that's me, baby. Bro, it's so good to have um, have a nice, great chat with you. I know everyone's going to enjoy our topic of discussions today. And um, you have a freaking awesome night. Thanks for joining us. That is such a late Thanks. night for you. And um, yeah. we'll speak to you next time. It's great to hear from Pinos. Have a great one, man. You too, my bro. All right. Love you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Life With Your Dog Podcast. My name's Panos, and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips, and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at np underscore dog underscore training, my website, npdogtraining.com, or my YouTube channel, Nutris Pooches. Thanks for listening, guys. My name's Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www.kizuna, that's K-I-Z-U-N-A, canine, C-A-N-I-N-E, dot com, dot A-U. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Kizuna Canine Training. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.